Saturday with Colm O'Mungan on RTE Radio 1. Hello again. Now, yesterday, the International Court of Justice in The Hague issued an interim judgment on a case brought by South Africa asking if the actions taken by Israel in Gaza amounted to genocide. And while the court ordered Israel to ensure its forces do not commit acts of genocide against Palestinians, it stopped short of granting South Africa's request to order an immediate ceasefire to the war. Meanwhile, in Gaza, the health system has, according to the WHO, collapsed and the lack of supplies means that people are at risk of starvation. Jonathan Cricks is UNICEF's Chief of Communications for the State of Palestine, that's the UN Agency for Children. And he's been in Gaza since Thursday, visiting children displaced by war. I spoke to him yesterday afternoon. I arrived in Gaza three days ago and um, I had the opportunity to meet with many, many children who are mostly in uh, internally displaced uh, camps. An extreme dire situation for those children, for those families. Wherever I look, it's tents and hundreds, thousands of tents, makeshift tents everywhere. On the sidewalks, on the streets, uh, more than 1.3 million people will have been displaced uh, in Rafa, where I am for the moment, and half of them estimated being children. They need water, they need food, uh, they have a very limited, if at all, toilets, bathrooms, any kind of hygiene or uh, sanitation systems that surround them. So, for example, I met uh, with Nada yesterday. She's 13-year-old. She lives in one of those makeshift tents. Uh, She arrived actually a couple of weeks ago. She has lost her father. She has lost her little brother. And she's living there with her mother and two sisters. And they have literally nothing, just two mattresses on the floor. Nights here are very cold. Uh, it's eight, nine degrees at night, and they are really, really suffering. How common is that, children who have lost family members? And how are they as a result of that? What I can tell you in terms of unaccompanied and separated children. So children who have uh, no family uh, or no parents. UNICEF makes an estimate because it's extremely difficult in these conditions uh, to have accurate figures, because all these people have been on the move. They are not registered anywhere. But the estimates that we make is that approximately 1% of the entire displaced population, which is 1.9 million, are unaccompanied and separated children. That makes 19,000 19, children who are unaccompanied or separated from their families. They they are among the most vulnerable of all children who are here in the Gaza Strip. And how are those children managing? You have multiple situations. So first of all, we must acknowledge that in the north of the Gaza Strip or in the the centre of the Gaza Strip for the moment, there must be many of these children and no humanitarian aid can reach them because of the security situation, because of the numerous challenges that we are facing to, to deliver aid. Then you also have children who are being taken care of by, I would say, their extended family. But the stories that I hear is that even that is extremely difficult because those extended families, those uncles, those cousins, they also have children that they have to take care of. And they have already very limited amount of food, water, space in, in, in a shelter or under a tent. So the situation, and that is really the reason why we're extremely concerned about those vulnerable children. 
What we are trying to do is we are trying to trace those children. We are trying to uh, provide support. But in the current conditions, that's, that is extremely difficult to achieve. Your colleagues in the Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights uh, this week said 80% of people facing starvation are Gazan and a quarter of the population are starving and struggling to find food and drinkable water. What evidence of that have you seen or what reports of it have you been getting from your colleagues during your time in Gaza this week? What we see around us is many, many people who are hungry. We see children carrying food parcels which have been distributed. What we have been doing this morning is with UNFPA, with WFP, we have been delivering uh, humanitarian aid to a small community. And what we were hearing is that this, this was really... Uh, the people were extremely thankful in the sense that they have very little access to food. We could see that people were hungry. We could see that people were also upset and were getting desperate. When it comes to children, the supplies of nutritious food, especially for the young children, have virtually run out. And, and without enough of those nutritious food, they could eventually starve. So that's the reality. And when we're talking about young children, we're talking about 330,000 children under the age of five. You are no doubt aware of Friday's decision at the International Court of Justice making an order for more aid to be allowed into Gaza. Your reaction to that? So uh, as UNICEF, we don't comment on International Court of Justice decisions, but in the immediate days and weeks, what is really needed is first that the humanitarian aid can be delivered in a better way and more at scale. And for that, we need security. We need to be able to move where the people in need are. We need to have a a communication network. For the moment, the cell phone network is not working properly. Uh, And then we also need more trucks. We need more fuel. 1.9 million people cannot live on humanitarian aid only. What is required also is to have more commercial trucks that can come to refill the shops. What is really needed also is a long-lasting ceasefire. Finally then, your colleague who was there um, last week spoke of children he had met in hospitals. The the medical situation of children, Jonathan, those that are wounded uh, and those malnourished, as you say, who are vulnerable to disease... So in in hospitals, the situation is also dramatic for several reasons. First, because we have almost two-thirds of the hospitals which are not functioning properly or not functioning at all. That, in return, creates a situation in which you have overcrowded hospitals running out of medical supplies. It was one of UNICEF's priorities to bring in medical supplies, especially the supplies that can be uh, used in surgery room to treat those injured children. We have more than 10,000 children who have been injured reportedly, and that's for sure probably underestimated. These children are really in need of of that aid. Also for pregnant women, we we have uh, many babies which are born every day here in in the Gaza Strip. Uh, Last week, we had approximately 20,000 babies who were born since uh, the the beginning of, of this war. And for us, it's absolutely critical that these supplies can go because the situation in the hospitals is very dramatic. 
And that was Jonathan Cricks, UNICEF's Chief of Communications for the State of Palestine, speaking to me from Gaza yesterday. Uh, still in studio with me are Joel Bryan, Minister of State of the Department of Integration, Jennifer Whitmore, Social Democrats TD for Wicklow, and Michael McNamara, Independent TD for Clare. Uh, Jennifer Whitmore, your party put forward a motion for the Irish government to support uh, it, uh, the South Africa's case at the International Court of Justice in The Hague during the week. It delivered its ruling, its interim ruling there on Friday. It didn't call for a ceasefire. So the position is now that the Irish government has actually gone further than the, the International Court of Justice. What diplomatic channels do you think the government should now follow in order to advance the cause? And you heard there from UNICEF uh, the need for a ceasefire to advance that cause. Um, I think the first thing I'd like to say is I really welcome the decision of the ICJ. And I'm usually grateful to South Africa for taking the case. It was a very brave step of them. Um, unfortunately, Ireland was not prepared to, to signal their support. Um, and that was very disappointing. That's what we were calling for in the in the Dáil last week. South Africa actually didn't want anyone to join them when they started the case. We didn't say we wanted the government to signal their support. Minister, you stood in the Dáil that day and you said that you mm. believed that a genocide was taking place. Um, and, and the fact then that, and there were so many TDs stood and they all spoke very very strong language that day from the government benches. And then they did not support uh, the Social Democrats' motion sure, for Ireland to indicate that they would support South Africa at the earliest possible time. That's mm. what we were asking. And the fact that the government uh, and, and TDs within did not support that, I, I just think is incredible. However, it is really welcome that, that South Africa uh, you know, won that case. And whilst the ICJ did not specifically mention ceasefire, essentially uh, the... Are you the, disappointed the, the by conditions. that? Well, look, you know, I, I think it would have been much stronger if they had. Um, however, I mean, they, they essentially, the conditions that they've placed on Israel would essentially amount to a ceasefire. I mean, all the different parameters there would, would amount to a ceasefire in South Africa themselves said that uh, after after the case. Except the absence of a call for a ceasefire allows Israel to argue, as they are arguing, that they are complying with those conditions already. Well, I'm, and I did. I was listening to the uh, the Israeli uh, spokesperson um, in the media yesterday, and I was. I was, uh, as I say, I was disappointed, but I was not surprised by the angles that are taken. That essentially that okay, they're but doing just very, very right. briefly. Can what, I just what? say when, when we're talking about diplomatic, uh, we're, I, I think there's a huge responsibility now in countries like the US and the UK to not aid and abet Israel. I mean, this decision okay. is huge, and I think if Israel do not change right. their, the, how they're um, partaking in this war, if they do not uh, allow uh, aid, if they do not stop okay. bombing Ma children, I think it is really All critical right. Ma that Michael we use every diplomatic means possible to bring pressure on the UK and the US. To, to, uh, to do that. Failing the ICJ calling for a ceasefire, what can Ireland now do to advance that? Uh, I mean, I think in fairness to the Irish government, they've played a constructive role, particularly at a European level. They need to continue to do that. I think uh, the European Union needs to look at the uh, trade and association agreement with Israel in light of the human rights clauses that are in that agreement. Obviously, that can only be suspended uh, with the agreement of um, other European countries, but I think that's something that the government could and should uh, work on. I mean, um, the group of which I'm a member sought a legal opinion and we were told it would be very difficult to challenge it at the general court based on, on previous precedents. Um, but it is something that the government can work on politically. I think they should work on that politically in tandem with whatever legal okay. measures they deem appropriate, such as uh, joining the, 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 the South African case. And okay. it's, I suppose the, the fact that they joined the Ukrainian case so early, um, even though the, the duty is okay, perhaps I, a little I, more tenuous, uh, the, the legal duty 
creates a particular duty to, to join South Africa. Okay. But I think the association agreement is something that they might work on. Okay, Joe O'Brien, next step in order to build a greater support for what Ireland wants, which is a ceasefire at a European level, concrete yeah. steps. Yeah, I, I, I believe we should join the case, by the way, and I've been speaking to officials in the Department of Foreign Affairs they were going to do a legal analysis of, of the um, the measures announced yesterday. I, look, I, I think yesterday was profound in many respects. Uh, this is the International Court of Justice calling out the State of Israel under the Genocide Convention, which was in essence established to protect the Jewish people. So in many respects, it's it was very mixed emotions yesterday when I was listening to it in that it's very sad that, that the world has come to this. Uh, I also felt a bit of hope and a bit of relief for the Palestinian people as well, that the highest court in in the world is after finding in their favour, I think, to some degree. And I think really now the pressure is up on Israel to really immediately, just in response to that report uh, you listened to there, humanitarian corridors need to be opened and, and they need to comply with the order. An order has been made and it's legally binding. Okay. Um, I just want to, before we go to... Uh before we go to the break, Ireland has, it says, no plans. This is in response to reports earlier. There's currently an investigation ongoing by the uh, UN Agency for Palestinians, UNRWA, into 12 of its employees who have been suspended. There was accusations that they had taken part in the October 7th attacks. A number of countries, the US, Australia, Italy, Finland and Canada, have decided to, to suspend funding uh, to UNRWA Ireland, which uh, pro- provides millions in support, millions of euro in support to UNRWA. says it has no plans to suspend funding in the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees and the uh, Tánis de Michal Martin has said he has full confidence in the Commissioner General of UNRWA, Philippe Lazzarini, in his decision to immediately suspend staff and uh, engage in an uh, investigation uh, and show zero tolerance on terror. We'll be back after this. Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1.